cold turkey and said, I'm free. Your first natural question would be, what are you free from? And so we cry out, we are free. But it's a good question to say, what are we free from? And what are the means of, our, of, a, of the freedom that we enjoy? We're free from sin. We're free from this world. We're free from the flesh within us. We are free from Satan. We're free from the law. We are free now to live out life in vital connection to our creator, our God. It's also important to understand how we obtain that freedom that we cry out and say we have. We have been freed by the life of Jesus Christ brought to us by the resurrection the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has freed us. This is knowledge most precious. To know this and to see it in Scripture and to embrace it is true freedom. It is what Joshua and the Israelites would call Gilgal. Gilgal. They had a, they had a habit of naming places and naming moments. And they're encamped now beyond the Jordan at a place called Gilgal, which in the Hebrew means a rolling away of a reproach that has sat down upon us for over 400 years. You will remember that the Israelites were in bondage, in slavery to Egypt, for generations after generations after generations. And you develop a mentality of slavery that is hard to throw off. It really is. In fact, it took an entire generation of Israelites dying off in the wilderness to kind of break that thought train. But now that generation is gone. And a new generation has been raised up to believe God's promises. They enter, the, they enter the promised land over a divided Jordan. And on this 14th day of the first month of the year, after being circumcised, they celebrate the Passover. In that great moment, in that great moment, all the reproach of life and of sin and of bondage is gone. It is gone. These Jews didn't work to get that done. They didn't serve penance. They didn't labor to get rid of reproach. They simply believed God. Now, we can talk all day as Christians about being guilt-free. We can talk all day about being free, but are you? Are you really? Are you in bondage to fear? Are you in bondage to sin? Do we allow the flesh to dominate? Or are we really free? Are you worried in the back of your mind that when you die, you'll face God and this whole thing was a sham? That we believed a lie? 
that we will burn in hell forever? Or does that thought seem so foreign to you, you know it'll never happen because you are free? When you boil life down, there's not a whole lot to be afraid of when you understand the core things have been dealt with. You are free. You're tempted to sin. Are you free? By the power of Christ within you to say no? We can talk about it till the chickens come home. Are you free? Do you believe God? I'm impressed. In fact, I'm, I'm startled a little that as Joshua goes over this Jordan with two million Jews, that he doesn't have a plan for Jericho. He's not quite sure how it's going to be pulled off. All he's told was, they will be defeated. He's not told how. Until he meets the commander of the armies of God. This was a private meeting. I don't think anybody else was there. It isn't always the private meetings the best, where God comes and speaks to you without an audience, with no one else around, it's just private, and he speaks to you. No fanfare, no great moment, in quietness he comes. It's always the best, isn't it? Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote down the history of the Jews. Josephus says, I'm, Josephus says nothing about this meeting with the commander of the armies of the Lord. says nothing about it. It's absent from history. It's not recorded. But it's the thing that makes it all come alive. Josephus tells us that after they crossed the River Jordan, they walked 50 furlongs. A furlong is about an eighth of a mile. If you do the math, that's a little over six miles that they walked beyond the Jordan toward Jericho. You say, well, that's a long way, six miles. Not to people who have been walking for 40 years. Six miles is a walk in the park for them. He tells us, Josephus does, that they are about 10 furlongs away from Jericho, which is a little over a mile. Not long. You can see it. And Jericho can see them. That's just about where the circumcision happened. Now again, I want to belabor the point, but if I'd have done the circumcision, number one, I'd have done it on the other side of the Jordan. Number two, I'd have done it right after the crossing of the Jordan. But God marches his army within a mile of the city and then circumcises all the men. Wow. It's almost as if he's telling those men and Joshua, you're not going to do this, I'm going to do it. Your strength in this matter means nothing. I'll hold the enemy back. I'll do this thing. You watch what I can do. Cripples them. And then on the 14th night, they have a, a Passover where they actually cook lambs on fires, on open pits. So there's this, this big banquet a mile or so away from Jericho. You don't think those people can watch and see? They're having a party down. These, these Jews are crazy. Nuts. 
The story's picked up in Joshua chapter 5. And this, I believe, is a solo trip by Joshua as he parts from, his, from the armies and from the people in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, now remember, he's the leader of two million Jews. He's got an army. What's the plan, really? Because Joshua is the general, and no general takes an army into the battle without a, a strategy. So perhaps he's walking up to Jericho thinking, what are we going to do? Now, before I go on, let me tell you that the Lord never gives us information before we need it. He never tells us a plan until it's about game time. And doesn't that frustrate all of us? We'd love to know the whole plan, wouldn't we? But see, if we knew the whole plan, it wouldn't be faith, would it? We'd stick to the plan rather than God. Some of you have situations in your life you haven't got a clue as to what you do. He'll tell you when he's ready. There's no use asking him. Probably we're not ready to hear what he has to say. But when you're facing Jericho and you got your army and they got their army and the day's coming, it's time. Verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, He lifted up his eyes and looked. Now, any author will tell you that's deadwood. That's more information. There's there's a little bit of deadwood in that sentence. Because if you lift your eyes up, you're looking. And if you say he looked, naturally he would lift his eyes up. Any author, when they write, if they have it a double emphatic like that, It's because there's something secondary that the author wants you to see. Let's read it again. He, Joshua, lifted up his eyes and he looked. (laughs) He lifted up his eyes and he took the time to look around. It means to look past the circumstances and past the wall of Jericho. And to really look for something beyond what you see. You have situations, you have stuff, you have questions about life. What's God's will in this thing? Lift up your eyes, calm down, don't say anything, and wait. Look. We run into walls because we don't look. We bump into people because we don't look. The true issues of life are the intangibles. What is God doing here and doing there? What does he want me to know? What does he want me to see in this thing? He's in charge of the little tiny details of life. And the exciting part is when he does the little tiny details, but you won't see him if you're not lifting your eyes up and looking for it. It's those kind of things that makes life fun and interesting and insightful. It really is. 
just a short word for perhaps our younger generation and maybe some older generation here. We have a generation that is addicted to technology. And maybe some of the older generations addicted to technology. You, you know what I'm talking about. Thumbs, I mean the most of the thumbs right there on, on the thing. May I encourage all of us to lift up our eyes and look? I was driven crazy. I think I told you a few weeks ago by a prom couple who showed up at a restaurant and Karen and I were waiting there and there's this young lady dressed, very lovely young lady, and there was this fella, you know, who wasn't much to look at, but there he was, took her out. And as they're waiting for a table, I could see the look on her face. Am I pretty? Does he like my dress? Does he like the, is he glad he's with me? And, and the old boy was over there like, you know, like that. Finally, she got fed up. I almost got fed up. I wanted to walk over and jack the guy up and say, you know what? She's going to go on one or two of these in her entire life. Put it away. Talk to her. Tell her how lovely she is. Make the night exciting for her. But what, she did, what did she do? She pulled out her phone. And there they were, two human beings separated by technology. I'm off my soapbox now. Put it away. Look people in the eye. Carry on intelligent conversations. There is a galaxy of information inside all of us. I've been married for over 35 years. I haven't scratched the surface of Karen Nutt yet. Really haven't. There's so much more I need to learn about her. She's changing. She's growing. I don't want to miss a thing going on inside of her. Really. Don't you miss everything that's going on in the people in your family, in your lives, in your friends with that stuff. Lift up your eyes and look at stuff. Well, when Joshua lifts his eyes up, behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Now when a man draws his sword, it is for only one purpose. And all the men in here know what it is. It's to fight. Now those who study the human experience and the human nature tell us that there is one, or two, one of two choices that Joshua could make at this point. Either fight or flight. Either pull your sword out or run to the hills. The problem with that is the assumption that there is fear regarding this man with a drawn sword. But what if a man didn't have fear? Because as John tells us, perfect love casts out fear. What if he's free? Then he has a third option rather than fight and flight, and Joshua takes the third option. This is fascinating. Notice in verse 13, the man standing before and had a drawn sword, and Joshua went to him and talked with him. Interesting. It doesn't say Joshua had a sword. I don't think he was with anyone. If he had a sword, he didn't draw it. He walked up to the man and talked to him. 
How many situations in life do you think are threatening that you could just walk up to and begin to talk about? There's Joshua with, with no fear. We're afraid, aren't we? Afraid of this and afraid of that. Most of our fears are unfounded. So he walks up to him and he says, are you for us or against us? That's what they'd say in Tennessee. But let's read what the Bible says. Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, he didn't look like a Jew. He knew he wasn't one of his men. And he didn't look like a Canaanite. He couldn't identify through outward appearance who this guy was. So it's, but he was impressed by him. He wanted to know, are you fighting for them or are you going to fight for us? I love this man's answer. No. <laughs> Neither one. I'm not fighting for you. I'm not fighting for them. Now we know who it was. I would have thought he would have said, Joshua, I'm on your side. But he doesn't. Abraham Lincoln's words come true at this point. He said during the midst of the Civil War, he said, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. Because God is always right. He's not for us. He's not against us. What is he then if he's not either one? Notice. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Isn't that powerful? This is what theologians call a Christophany. Christophany. It is the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. There are a number of them, and usually in the Old Testament, it has the reference of the angel of the Lord, and he shows up in a number of different ways. You know, God chooses to show up in the Old Testament in a number of different ways. To Moses, he was in a burning bush. Uh, to other Bible characters, he came in different ways and different means. I always think of that verse in Hebrews that talks about God in old times came in different ways and in different modes. But in these last times, he has come in his son, Jesus Christ. So he didn't come this way anymore. It's Christ and Christ alone. But back then, he shows up as a commander with a sword in his hand. We know it's Christ because notice what Joshua does. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. Now any time in all the scripture when men attempted to worship angels, angels quickly got them up off their feet. When John worshipped the angel in Revelation, the angel said, no, 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 don't do it. Here the worship is not refused. This is God in the flesh. This is Christ. It's him and him alone. I think of when Thomas put his hands, fingers in 
the holes in Jesus' hands. He said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus never got him up off his feet. Now, this is an amazing moment. This is, this is the moment Joshua needs. He's facing an immovable ob object. It's, it's, the wall is there. The army's inside. His army is untrained. They're nomads who keep goats in the desert. This is what they do. They've never fought before. And here Joshua is before the commander. And notice what he says. What does my Lord say to his servant? What do you have to say? Verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals off of your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did it. Pulls his sandals off. Realizes he is in the presence of God Almighty. In the form of a command. Now, now understand, there was no glow about this man. He was impressive. But he didn't look anywhere other than just a normal human being. Three things. Look up. Look up from the ordinary and see who is behind everything. You know, the people that go insane are the people that have to logically figure out everything, they have to reason it all out. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Where does this fit in? Where does that fit in? Where does this illness fit in? Where does this tragedy go? Where does this movement that I didn't like, where do this, where's all these messed up people in my life? Why are they in my life? I'm figuring it all out. You will go nuts. You are trying to fit all of heaven into your head and it will explode. Boom! God's desire is for you to see mystery and the unexpected by his hand and by his will. And you don't know where it's going, but that's okay because you're just following like a rabbit down a trail. We've, we're working with some wood up here to, to build backdrops and we're trying to get it bug free. And it is bug free now because we hired a fumigation company to come fumigate it, which is kind of interesting. We put it out on the parking lot, and they came, and they put a big cover over it and sealed it off and stuck a hose in there and gassed that stuff. Well, I didn't realize they were going to do it. I really didn't understand the process, but on a, there was a sign outside that said, Deadly Poison, Stay Away. Now, this happened Friday. Thursday, the school was out. I thought, Lord, if we'd done that Thursday with all those school kids in, parents are picking up their kids and they're looking over, oh, deadly poison on the property. That's really nice. <laughs> I didn't plan that out. Thank God God planned it out. 
God is in charge of the little details of life. Watch for it. It's fun to see what he's doing. It's amazing to see what God lift up and look for the mystery of life. You have a setback. You have a heartache. You have this and that. God has a reason. He'll work it all out. He'll pan it all out. It's going to be good. Lift up your eyes and see that the commander of the armies of the Lord has his sword drawn for you. He fights the battles. It's a marvelous way to live. Number two. I love this. I borrow this from G. Campbell Morgan in his survey on the book of Joshua. I love this statement. I about fell out of my chair the night I read this. God, he said the Lord, is perpetually at war with sin. He is active. He is here. He fights sin. You see him with his sword drawn. He's not going to kill Joshua. He's going to kill and fight the folks of Jericho who are living in a sinful society. These Canaanites were sacrificing their children to their gods. They were living in gross immorality. They had plenty of chances to repent, hundreds of years to turn to the Lord, and they were resisted against God, and God would fight perpetually against sin. He's always fighting sin. That's why we are always to take sin serious. God doesn't allow and turn the blind eye to sin in our lives. He'll fight against it. God is perpetually at war with... You know what this tells me? This tells me we don't serve a God out there. We serve a God that's closer than our very breath and who is intimately involved in our lives every day, every moment, in every way. He knows us like this, and he's close, and he's involved with our lives. He fights perpetually against sin. One more. His truth is given to the worshiper. Not the curious, not those who just kind of want to know about God and what he wants. This commander of the Lord said nothing to him about what he asked until he took his sandals off and worshipped and understood that the ground he was on was holy ground. He was conquered. Joshua was conquered by a great and mighty God. You know you don't have anybody's attention until you do this. No teacher in a classroom has the student's attention until they're here and the student is there. You know that. No child in a home has the attention of their parents until they understand that parents are here and the children are here. This is true of all of life. You don't listen to anyone when you're here. If you listen to your peers, you kind of throw that off and say, well, that's good or that's bad. I don't really care because you're my peer. But when we see the Lord here and we we're here, we listen. And God doesn't, he never wastes, we waste a lot of words, we waste a lot of speeches. We waste a lot of talk. We talk to people who aren't even listening to us. All the time. Never talk to your kids, your grandkids. Teachers, don't even talk to your students until you have their respect and submission. Do you know over in Japan, for the first couple of years of their 
school experience, you know what they teach them? They teach them respect. They teach them manners. They teach them submission to authority. They never even start teaching those kids until they are submissive to the authority of the teachers. This is always the Lord's way. It is in our lives. If you're just curious about God and curious about Christ, he won't show you anything. Let me read to you a quote from G.K. Chesterton. I love this. How much happier you would be. How much more of you there would be. If the hammer of a higher God, a higher God than you think you are and I am, a higher God could smash your small cosmos, scattering the stars like spangles, and leave you in the open, free like other men to look, men to look up as well as down. Now, as in all of Chesterton's writing, you've got to read it about ten times to start thinking about it. We carry ourselves as gods. We've got it all figured out. We've got our reason planned. We've got our life planned out. We are the God of our lives until a higher God takes his big hammer and smashes our world into cosmos. Smashes them and and the stars shatter like spangles. And all of a sudden we become free from our own bondage. And now we can follow him. Now we come free to understand that all of our, no, 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 not part of it. All of our lives are on holy ground. That our sandals are always to be off. Understanding every moment of our lives is lived in the presence of Jesus Christ on holy, holy ground. It makes all of life separated to him, holy. We go out of here. We start Monday. I was shocked when Karen told me she felt as close to God on Monday as she does on Sunday. She told me that the other day. Can you believe that? That she would feel as close to Christ on a Wednesday afternoon after work as she does at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Amazing. I'm going to have to straighten her theology out. She's all messed up. (laughs) All of life is holy. When Joshua, I'll close with this. This private conversation was not recorded by Josephus, the great Jewish historian. And yet this moment with the commander of the armies of the Lord was the moment that prepared Joshua to defeat, allow the plan to play out to defeat. You'll find next week that the Lord's going to tell Joshua a crazy plan that no general has ever told an army to do. It's insanity. It's suicide. I'm sure there was grumbling in the ranks. And Joshua would never have followed that plan if he hadn't slipped his sandals off and got down on his knees and realized he was in the presence of Jesus Christ, God Almighty.